Mr. Chief Justice. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Our opinion next turns to the problem of what the judicial role should be. In the instances where I have had the opportunity to get a nice data set and go in and help with jury selection, my clients have won, I'm going to say something like 13 out of 15. This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. We read about this case in the papers, Mr. Madison. Didn't see it. I heard about it on television. Like I say, I didn't follow it. Do you have any strong religious beliefs? I'm a Baptist. I believe in God. Oh, thank you. We are obsessed with understanding juries, especially how they're selected. Baptist. You think he'll sympathize with fundamentalists? He worries me. Makes me nervous. I think he knows the difference between church and state. Keep him. Guys, trust me. No challenge. No challenge. Juries are a bedrock principle of our modern democracy. Judgment by a group of our peers, independent observers who dispassionately sort through the facts and make decisions. Who's guilty? Who's innocent? Who's right? And who's wrong? But if you've ever been called for jury duty, tried to get out of it, sat through questioning, or even served, you know this whole jury of our peers idea is not quite what it's cracked up to be. Today, finding a jury is another step, another battlefield in the courtroom drama. Gentlemen, trials are too important to be left up to juries. <laughs> That's the sentiment at the heart of the 2003 movie Runaway Jury. Gene Hackman plays an evil jury consultant who's working for a gun company to try and stack and sway a jury. In real life, the business of jury selection is big money. Anytime there's a big case, civil or criminal, you can bet a jury scientist has worked on it. O.J. Simpson, Enron, George Zimmerman, all were in some way a product of jury consultants. So in a world of high-priced Gene Hackmans versus common people accused of crimes, how does that bedrock principle of democracy fare? How do jury consultants work? How do juries even get picked? Ashley Cleek has the story. Well, a lot of attorneys have a lot of ideas. Most of the time, I like older, more mature jurors because they're more likely to be pro-prosecution than a young person. I, I like women on juries because women are just, in my opinion, less likely to kill. I know, I know uh, one attorney, this is, you'll think is funny as heck, he asks every single jury, he asks them, who watches NASCAR? And the ones that raise their hand, they watch NASCAR, he, he gets rid of them. This is Randall Caldwell, and his friend, he says, does a lot of personal injury lawsuits. And NASCAR fans, he thinks, won't empathize with his clients. Caldwell's got his own red flags. I never trust anybody that wears a bow tie. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's just a, it's a thing with me. If, if you wear a bow tie and you're not wearing it to be funny, like if you're wearing it to be serious, I automatically have, a, have doubts about, your, about you. 
Caldwell's tried a lot of cases in front of a lot of juries. And over the years, he's come up with more rules of thumb. You know, African-Americans tend to give higher verdicts than Caucasians do. If you have, if I have a female client, then the rule of thumb is that women tend to be harder on other women. So I don't want as many women jurors as I want men if I have a female client. This is jury selection at the most basic level. Selecting people based on stereotypes, profiling, rules of thumb. Just about every attorney does it. And Caldwell, and many others, swear it works. The attorney Clarence Darrow had his own rules of thumb. Darrow is one of the most famous defense attorneys ever. He defended the science teacher accused of teaching evolution in the Scopes Monkey Trials. In a child's power to master the multiplication table, there is more sanctity than in all your shouted amens and holy holies and hosannas. An ideal is a greater monument than a cathedral. He had this famous quote that a trial is won or lost when a jury is sworn in. Back in 1936, Darrow wrote a long essay in Esquire where he gives advice about how to pick a jury that will be sympathetic to your client. Choosing jurors is always a delicate task. That's not Clarence Darrow. It's my friend Dan. He has no idea what Darrow sounded like. An Irishman is called into the box for examination. You would be guilty of malpractice if you got rid of him, except for the strongest reasons. If he is a Catholic, he must be emotional and will want to help you. If a Presbyterian enters the jury box, let him go. He is cold as the grave. Darrow's essay was really influential, and his personal hunches shaped the makeup of American juries for decades. Valerie Hans, a professor of law at Cornell University, says attorneys everywhere followed these rules. Who to keep on a jury, who to strike. The attorney would think, oh boy, the last time I had a person of this set, of with this set of characteristics. I really, I lost a case I should have won, and I'm convinced that that kind of juror just isn't hospitable to me, and therefore, I'm going to get rid of them. And you can see how this would be problematic. Hunches? Biases? There was no proof whatsoever. So this is what we'll call the first stage of modern jury selection. It lasted until 1972, January 1972, to be precise, when a group of sociologists from Columbia University in New York introduced science into modern selections. Or anyway, something science-ish. So picture this. The early 1970s. Richard Nixon's president. The Vietnam War is raging, as are protests against it. And the government wants to start locking protesters up, as many as it can. The Justice Department charges six Catholics and one Pakistani journalist with an anti-war conspiracy to blow up heating pipes underneath Washington, D.C., and kidnap then-head of national security, Henry Kissinger. Big charges. And it's a federal case. So the government can hold the trial anywhere it wants. 
So the prosecution chooses Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Harrisburg had the reputation at the time as being a strongly conservative community whose members were not likely to look kindly on anti-government protest. A man named Jay Shulman, a sociologist at Columbia University in New York, saw that and thought, there's no way those priests and nuns are going to get a fair jury. And he thought, well, what can I do? I'm just a sociologist here. What can I do to help out these defendants so that they get the kind of open-minded jury that they're entitled to. So Shulman grabbed some grad students and went to Harrisburg to work for the defense. He and his team went house to house, surveying the community for weeks. They knocked on doors and questioned residents. What do they think about the war, about the government? How do they feel about the draft, about the protests? No surprise, Harrisburgers were really conservative. But... Big surprise, not all Harrisburgers. They found that young people were more anti-government than old people. Nothing shocking there. They found that women were more empathetic to defendants. And residents without a college education were more liberal-leaning. Guided by the sociologists, the defense attorneys questioned jurors. Their age, were they married, their religion... How did they feel about the war? And while they're being questioned, the sociologists ranked them on a scale of one to five. A score of one meant keep them, five, strike them. What was funny is that the prosecution didn't seem to be overly concerned. I mean, that's why they had the uh, trial in Harrisburg, um, because they thought they would get a good jury regardless of what was going on. William O'Rourke was a young writer at the time of the trial, and he later wrote a book called The Harrisburg Seven and the New Catholic Left. Jury selection lasted a month. In the end, out of 12, the defense got five of what they thought would be their perfect jurors, young, mostly apolitical, white women. The trial lasted a little over a week. Newspapers and television stations covered the trial daily. Outside the courthouse, protesters sang Kumbaya, the whole country's watching. Are these priests and nuns going to jail? The government called 64 witnesses. Then it was the defense's turn to present its case. One of the lead defense attorneys, Ramsey Clark, who had previously been Lyndon Johnson's attorney general, stood up and said, that the defendants proclaimed that they were innocent of all the charges and arrested the case. They did not put on a single witness. They had already done it. They had already done it. They had already won in jury selection. So if you think about the result, well, here's a conservative jurisdiction where you can't get a, a unanimous jury to agree that these defendants should be convicted of conspiracy. So, uh, and so just on that measure, uh, you might say they were successful. So this is the birth of phase two of jury selection, the demographic approach. Although we can't predict with certainty how any human being's gonna behave, uh, we do know uh, that, that some things are associated with more favorable versus less favorable views. And sometimes a little bit of edge is all you may get, but that may be enough for you. And this little bit of edge 
created a $400 million industry. Let me say that again, jury consultants, a job that did not exist before the Harrisburg trial, every year bill their clients about $400 million. Born in this time of incredible political protest and anti-war sentiment, it has shifted so now it's used much more frequently in civil cases and by wealthy uh, clients who can afford to hire people uh, to do this kind of systematic selection and analysis on their behalf. People like Bob Bettler. I take data and I turn it into poetry. Bettler works for one of the biggest trial consulting firms in the country, Decision Quest. He's got a trim white beard, pressed black suit, and a pack of cigarillos tucked into his inside breast pocket. We're sitting on a bench at the county courthouse in Birmingham, Alabama, and he's telling me he got into consulting while he was finishing a PhD in psychology at the University of Kentucky. He had this friend. And this fella, he kept saying, kept telling me, Bob, you should come and do this uh, jury consulting, do these focus groups, because the attorneys liked having psychology people do their focus groups. And for a long time, I said, no, nah, I don't want to do that crap. I don't want to do that crap. Uh, but in, in the end, it was the, the money. Consultants are paid well, somewhere between $250 and $450 an hour. Sometimes they do pro bono work for public defenders. But to really hire one for a civil case can cost between $10,000 and half a million dollars. Bettler has volunteered to show me how he picks a jury. So we walked the halls of the courthouse looking for one. We sit in a courtroom and watch the doors, waiting. Lots of waiting. I luckily am not paying $450. Bettler's been doing this for decades. He's usually hired by big corporations to help them win civil cases. So often, he's trying to sniff out how people feel about corporations, or as he calls it. I call it the Michael Moore, Dick Cheney scale. A Michael Moore juror hates corporations. A Dick Cheney juror loves them. Bettler surveys thousands of people yearly. How do engineers feel about corporations or housewives, white people versus black people? And he'll rank them and then tell his client who to strike from the jury. Bettler's collected years of data, or poetry, whatever you want to call it, and he's good. So does Bettler win cases? Unfortunately, there are no hard, there's no hard data on this. As Bettler and everyone else I spoke to said, there's been no scientific study that scientific jury selection works. Now, Bettler and jury consultants do a lot of other things. They help lawyers and prep witnesses for trial. They hold focus groups and mock trials. And Bettler does have some informal, not published data on his own track record. In the instances where I have had uh, the, the opportunity to, to get a nice data set and go in and help with jury selection, my clients have won, uh, I'm going to say, something like 13 out of 15. That sounds pretty great. You should pay attention to um, the, um, the business interests of the people who you're talking to. That's Neil Kressel. Kressel is a professor of psychology at William Patterson University. He wrote a book about jury consulting called Stack and Sway, the New Science of Jury Consulting. Kressel says there's no proof that trials are swayed either way 
by Jury Consultants. Whether justice is helped by any of this, um, that's, a, that's a tricky question. I, jury consultants make the argument that we have an adversarial system, and just as lawyers are supposed to do the best job for their clients, um, jury consultants help lawyers to do the best job for their clients. Other people have argued that because these methods are so expensive, what they do is that they amplify the problem that our justice system works best for people who have a lot of money. But, Kressel says, that's true of the whole legal system. Money influences all parts of a trial. Do you have enough money to hire your own lawyer? What kind of lawyer? What experts can you afford to testify on your behalf? How many experts? Expensive jury consultants, Kressel says, are just one aspect of how money influences outcomes. Plus, as consultants keep telling me, they don't pick who they want on a jury. They pick who they don't want. They're basically deselecting people. So consultants used to drive through people's neighborhoods and check the bumper stickers on their cars. But now we have the Internet a.k.a. phase three of modern jury selection. If before all lawyers had were hunches, and then basic demographics, today they have Google. You can look at what they posted on blogs when that's unlocked and open, what they've posted on Facebook. David Cannon is a trial consultant who runs a company called Trial Innovations. So anything that these jurors have chosen to put out in public is fair game for us to look at in our decision as to who to keep or who to remove. During jury selection, Cannon is watching the jurors in court, thinking... Do they look comfortable? How are they dressed? Is how they're dressed uh, kind of what I would expect given the part of town that they're from? Does, what does this tell me about their socioeconomic status? What does this tell me about their satisfaction with life? Today, jury consultants are expert Googlers power Facebookers. Armed with just the information they get from the courts, they find Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Pinterest pages. What do you like? What do you comment on? Who comments on you? They check Zillow to see what kind of neighborhood you live in, and Zillow's estimated value of your home. And while the lawyers are asking questions, Cannon's team is building complex, specific profiles of everyone in the jury box. I'll give you an example. I was I was doing one. It was a law enforcement case. There was a photograph of this uh, juror who said, I love police officers, just, you know, can't get enough of them. It almost seemed like she was coming across as ingenuine. So that was red flag number one. Red flag number two was a picture of her on Facebook flipping off a police car. Uh, so Cannon told the lawyer he was working for to strike her and she was gone. Ladies, you wouldn't know if there's a jury selection going to happen over here, do you? In which courtroom? Huey. Huey? No. We have, have a case. Okay. So. Bob Bettler and I walked around the courthouse for two or three days and never found a jury being selected. Every trial was either settled or postponed. And that squares with the facts. Jury trials are increasingly rare. According to statistics, in state courts, only about 3% of civil cases go to a jury. In federal court, it's less than 1%. So most of us are never going to be in front of a jury, nor are we going to be able to afford a consultant. So in order to see a consultant in action, 
I called David Cannon back. David, are you there? Yes. We decided to pretend that the case he was selecting for was a case of excessive force by the police. Cannon would be selecting a jury that would be sympathetic to the police's side. And in this fictitious jury pool, first juror in the boxes, me. So here's what he knows. He'd be given my age, my job, my marital status, and where I live. I'm 30, a journalist, married, and living in Birmingham, Alabama. Another thing you would, you would state your education, perhaps where you went to school and what you majored in. Okay, so I have a bachelor's degree uh, from Columbia University. I majored in Russian. Now, this is interesting. So I'm looking at your Facebook. He scans for a few minutes and starts drawing conclusions. I would say that you are a caring, emotional person. You care for people. <laughs> and, okay, going down, I'm looking a little bit further. I think that you would have sympathy for the underdog. Um, if I were working for the defense representing law enforcement, uh, before I really was able to talk to you, I would have a lower score on you, meaning that I would have you as a potential strike and I would have a higher score for you on leadership, meaning that, you know, I think she could go against us. And not only do I think she could go against us, but I think she could take other people with her because I think she has some, uh, some leadership and persuasiveness. So I would probably strike you. Well, I'm pretty sure I would. So Cannon would strike me. But here's the thing. The other side, the plaintiff side, would fight to keep me. I'm their kind of juror. Skeptical, opinionated. Even Cannon said so. He said if he was on the other side, I'd be the perfect juror. For Life of the Law, I'm Ashley Cleek. This episode of Life of the Law was reported by Ashley Cleek and edited by Bennett Dare, with sound design by Jonathan Hirsch. Seal Muller is our engineer. Special thanks to Valerie Hans, our advising scholar, for her production assistance. Life of the Law is a nonprofit project of the Tide Center, and we're part of the infinite guest network of podcasts from American Public Media. You can hear all of our episodes, stories about obscenity laws, doxing, confessions, water rights, and hiring an attorney from a TV ad at infiniteguest.org, lifeofthelaw.org, iTunes, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to hear our Life of the Law stories on your local public radio station, give them a call and let them know they can get access to all of our episodes at PRX, Public Radio Exchange. We're funded in part by grants from the Open Society Foundations, the Law and Society Association, the Proteus Fund, and the National Science Foundation. But the most important production support comes from you, our listeners. 
take a minute and visit our website. Make a tax-deductible donation to help pay for the direct cost of producing our stories. There's a donate button on the top right corner. And if you're listening today, November 3rd, tonight in Brooklyn at the Knitting Factory, Live Law is presenting a show of truth or dare stories. You can buy tickets on our website, lifeofthelaw.org. Thanks to Audible.com for sponsoring our Live Law event. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at www.audible.com backslash live law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Thanks for listening. Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair, and we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. Uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American married to a Colombian Mexican American and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvador and pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos, let's do this. 